name's Tom Faulkner. Uh, I'm an analyst in the regulation team at Cornwall Insight. Um, and welcome to our latest podcast. Uh, we're going to be discussing some of the research we've done around the connected homes uh, sphere. Uh, I'm here with Anna and Oliver from the retail team. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi, I'm Anna. I'm retail manager at Cornwall Insights, and I supported the editing process on the new Connected Homes Insight service. I'm Oliver. I am an analyst in the retail team here at Cornwall Insight, and I authored the report. Excellent. It's good to have you both here. So let's start nice and easy. Um, for those people who are listening that don't know, Anna, what, what is a Connected Home? How, how long has this thing sort of been about? Yeah, you see, start nice and easy, Tom. That's quite a quite a difficult thing to define. We did have um, several meetings at the start of our, our research process where we were looking into what we mean when we say connected home. Um, there's also the term smart home as well that covers lots of different technologies. But essentially for what we've been looking at, uh, we've said that this is a home where you've got lots of different integrated devices um, that you can easily control and easily automate to create effectively a safe, convenient and comfortable environment. Okay, and so is is this something that's only happened in the past couple of years or is it something that we've seen grow? No, no, it's been going on for quite a long time. I suppose as technologies developed, we've seen, as anybody would say, new technologies that comes in is, is smarter, is more effective. So I suppose um, the first kind of uh, programmed or automated technologies in the 60s and 70s, you'd say, was really the start of the connected or smart home, perhaps. Um, but we've, of course, seen a big shift more recently to things like smart thermostats, smart locks, uh, smart speakers, where you can integrate lots of different appliances within the home. Awesome. And Oliver, you you obviously authored the report. You've done a lot of work into this. Why, why now? Why is this something that we're interested in now? Yeah, well, as Anna says, uh, the connected home is something that's been around for a good while. Uh, technologies have been developing, but I think at the moment, we've really noticed a big increase in the levels of investment coming into the space, new businesses entering, uh, but whether that be startups or uh, businesses operating in adjacencies such as energy or insurance moving into the connected home space now. Uh, and I think that's partly natural evolution, but what we've seen in the last five, 10 years is quite a big revolution in technology, particularly around uh, data. Okay, cool. And so the, the technologies that are on offer, what what kind of sphere are we seeing the technologies? Obviously, this report doesn't necessarily just focus on one set of connected homes technologies. What sort of things are we looking at here and, and what technologies are, are selling better than others? Yeah, so I suppose you could look across the market at the moment and say easily smart entertainment technologies are selling best, things like smart speakers and um, smart TVs. And we've we've kind of shifted our focus away from that in the report to some of the things that we see coming up and progressing much more over the next few years. So uh, we've split it into kind of comfort related technologies. So smart thermostats, smart uh, heating systems as well, um, smart lighting, and then also looking at smart security. So things like alarms, um, locks. Smart security at the moment is actually much bigger in the US um, than it is here. We'd see that that kind of comfort area being um, much stronger here at the moment. There are a lot more companies operating in that space. And one of the other areas actually we looked at in the research was around wellness. And so that would be where you're trying to create better independence for elderly people to stay in their houses longer. So you have like a series of sensors in the home that might tell you if somebody was following their usual consumption patterns and maybe it sends you out an alert if something was wrong. Um, but but again, it's a much smaller area in the market at the moment. We just see uh, two companies operating here. Yeah, so just to add to what Anna was saying, um, obviously 
those entertainment products that people like Amazon and Google are selling around smart speakers, smart televisions. That's really the big sell at the moment. That's what most customers are buying into, which we'll have seen on Black Friday and Cyber Monday as well. Given that, it is, it is still the case that uh, the, the kind of things we're looking at around security and wellness and comfort are definitely projected to really pick up over the next five to 10 years mm. uh, and, and maybe even reach close to the same levels of, uh, of market reach as the entertainment tech. Yeah, I suppose maybe that kind of speaker side of things is a bit more mass market at the moment. It's potentially a little bit cheaper as well. So I think we'd see some of that equalizing a bit more over the next uh, five years or so. Uh, so in the report, did we see a sort of ranking? I mean, you talk about wellness not having a, a huge market share necessarily at the, at now. Is it is it more of a comfort, security, wellness sort of thing? What what? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we see it coming through in that order at the moment. Um, there's a lot more focus around things like smart thermostats right now. I suppose again, we'd see the cost there maybe being a little bit lower. Um, and I think as well, consumers can see the direct benefits of having that that simple control within the home and the ability to integrate that further, whereas maybe some of the other technologies don't necessarily have that kind of easy level of integration or, or the kind of lower level of cost yet. Yeah, I think just to add to that, um, there's potentially an interesting, a, a slight difference in what businesses are doing and what where businesses see the opportunity and maybe where customers at the moment are investing their money. So that might explain why there are only a couple of companies not selling as much volumes in something like wellness, because this is potentially more a, a future vision. So companies saying, <clears throat> we know that we can take all these different technologies, put them together and give the customer something new and interesting and additional, whereas customers may not be yet at the point that they're ready to buy into that. They're more interested in just buying a smart thermostat or a, a doorbell. Yeah, that's all I was saying. Like some of those technologies say like within wellness there's a a completely different sales route associated with that so it's a lot more um kind of personal you have to have probably the the technology company or the supplier for example involved in the conversation but equally the elderly person whose home the technology would be installed in um, but also the carer or the family member as well so again it's because you're installing in somebody else's home you obviously have to have permissions to access all the data and everyone has to be comfortable with that situation yeah it's a slightly harder Mm. market just to operate in and install in and just be aware of everything that's that's going on in that that's good and um and we talked about the, the Amazons, the Googles, the Apple sorts of things. But if we kind of shift away from those sorts of guys, Oliver, and I touched on smart thermostats, who's operating in, in that market at the moment? Who have we got kind of coming in at that moment? Who's being successful there? So in the UK market, we definitely see Centrica's Hive having the greatest penetration in the, the smart thermostat market. Uh, that's because Centrica, obviously, through its British gas business, has a, a real presence in the customer home already. We know that engineers going in from British Gas to service boilers, et cetera, are able to talk about these products, talk about how they'll help with efficiencies. Uh, and it's it's really those established businesses that are doing well at the moment in the connected home space. So as well as British Gas through Hive, um, we see uh, British Telecoms doing well. Uh, and then obviously, as you said, those established businesses like Google and Amazon as well. And do you think that's that's a kind of trust thing? Is it a trust in terms of consumers trusting them? Or is it that startups are just being bought by these big companies? I think it's a whole range of things. It probably is a little bit about trust and brand awareness. Customers definitely talk a lot about uh, consumer data and worries they have about privacy being a barrier to buying in some of these technologies at the same time as businesses are saying, we know we can do so much with your data and that we can help you. We can give you additional services. Customers are are wary of that offer. 
it's also likely to do with routes to market. So at the moment, if you think yourself, maybe I'm thinking about buying a bit of technology, where will I go to to make that purchase? It's probably online. It's probably a retailer that you know. It could be Amazon's web shop. It could be you just do a Google. So for for businesses that are new in this area, let's not forget Centrica's Hive is actually a relatively young operation. It really helps them to have an established presence. Whereas a startup that has no contact with the customer already, it's probably going to do better going to a retailer that already has a customer base to offer their product. Yeah, I agree. I think that customer relationship element is really important. Um, and it's something we see as maybe a, a potential opportunity for lots of suppliers that are already working with um, with customers and kind of billing and, and having customer service discussions with consumers. Um, but equally, as Oliver said, there's, you know, there's different kind of marketing preferences there too. So there's different routes into the home. Um, you typically see some of those bigger brand names as well, spending a little bit more on advertising. Cool. And I mean, it's, it's great that you mentioned that because obviously energy suppliers are already in the home in terms of supplying gas and electricity and things like that. What opportunities, um, who is operating as an energy supplier in the market at the moment? Uh, is it, is it a, a, a big group of people or is it a bit more of a select few? Yeah, so I suppose we see uh, lots of different competitors operating here across the energy market at the moment, um, really split across. I suppose there's a few of the big six operating there um, and a handful of the smaller competitors too, small and, and medium energy suppliers. But equally, there's lots of people that we're talking to that are interested in looking at the opportunities that the Connected Home presents at the moment. So I suppose, for example, like Oliver mentioned, Centrica earlier on. Um, so they have their own product line through Hive. Um, but I suppose, yeah, you can look at some of the statements they talk about Hive in their, their financial statements. Um, and they, they say, obviously, it's an additional sales channel for them. But in addition to that, it, it improves their net promoter score with their customers and it improves their retention with their customers too. So I'd say at the moment, there's that initial opportunity of both cross-selling uh, in a slightly different markets, um, but also kind of improving your customer relationships and, and deepening the relationship with the customers you have. Um, lots of the other companies though are looking more at that partnership option. I suppose some of the smaller companies, especially in this case, uh, like Oliver was saying, you you might immediately think of some of those other brands like like Amazon or other technology brands if you were thinking about the technologies themselves. So some companies, I suppose, are taking that approach of why reinvent the wheel, really, because you, you could partner with an existing provider that has a, a good and, and technology that maybe can operate with other technologies um, and to be able to uh, bundle that perhaps with other services. So for example, with uh, um, an energy tariff or um, creating a bundle that maybe brings your insurance premiums down. So there are other sort of services that you can layer on top of this. Um, that kind of future opportunity element that lots of people are talking about though is, is taking this one step further. Um, so being able to use these technologies for, um, well, I suppose to provide better personalization and more automation within the home. I think one of the first steps we've seen here is maybe in diagnostics. So you could put smart technology around um, a boiler and boiler services. Um, so it would be able to tell you if there was a fault on your boiler, maybe it, it orders the parts for you in advance. Um, and it, it means you only maybe have to have one call out from somebody to come and fix it. So within there, you've got that kind of personalized element where it's assessing your technology and it's taking some kind of automated actions. Um, but people are talking about whether or not you'd see this go further. You know, could you integrate the whole home alongside um, a, a smart meter and electric vehicle and, and use time of use tariffs to incentivize people to shift their consumption away from peak times? Um, but again, I, I think that's kind of one step away from where we are right now. Sure. Um, and, and in terms of 
I mean, they, they sound like great opportunities. There's there's lots to to kind of chew on there. Um, we've also got a lot of energy supplies in the market, Oliver. Why why isn't everyone doing this? If you look online, if you look at your energy tariffs, it's not everyone's offering these bundles. You know, there there must be some sort of kind of things that people are worried about. I think what Anna said about the partnership model is interesting because we actually do see quite a lot of suppliers doing this. Um, but a lot of the time, it's simply a shop a page on their website saying you can also buy this thermostat from us or or this camera or whatever. Um, you're right that not as many people are going as deep as, for example, Centrica are doing or EDF has done through its Blue Labs and, and House partnership. Um, a lot of that is probably just to do with capital and risk. Specifically, energy supply is quite a, a margin stressed sector, definitely at the moment. Not lots of people have got a lot of money to invest in this space and Actually, if you look further through those Centrica financial statements that Anna mentioned, you'll see that sadly, for for quite a few years now, Hive has been a loss making business, quite heavily loss making. Yeah. I, I suppose as well, Olivia, you know, when we've talked to companies that are looking at integrating and maybe going through that full integrated route of offering technologies themselves, um, you're looking at completely restructuring a business model too, aren't you? So, um, you, you even if you acquired separate businesses. Um, to provide you with that service, you've then got to look at how you integrate them into your business model so that, say, if you've got an installer that's going out to a customer's property, are they able to install all the different technologies that you offer? Are your customer service team able to handle questions about all of those different technology offers? I think that's actually quite a, a complicated action to take for a, for an energy supply business or en- any business, actually. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah. and I think does that that's obviously on the the company barrier, but I suppose there must be some consumer barriers as well. I mean, you've mentioned earlier data and things like that and privacy. People must have worries about that, what they're doing and things like that. So consumer surveys have indicated that there there are quite a few barriers uh, in the way of customers at the moment. Um, People, yes, they talk about data and privacy. Their main concern is actually about the cost of purchasing these devices. And that's probably another reason why we've seen stuff like smart speakers and and TV sell a lot better because some of those smart speakers at the moment, you can get them for 20, 30, 40 pounds. Um, So there's there's some work to be done on reducing the price of these things. There's some work to be done on convincing customers that, uh, that you are transacting in good faith with them and that you will treat their data as the the law dictates. Um, But there's also a number of other things that customers talk about around the difficulty of using the technology and and just engaging with it and understanding what it does and what it's for. And that's actually really important because we see when people even do make these purchases, they're not always using them to their full potential. So the kinds of things that we see suppliers, energy suppliers, other companies, technology companies wanting to offer customers and wanting to help customers with, even after purchase and not always being capitalized upon. And I suppose that that seems to come through a little bit as well into the, the kind of business model element, because say if you wanted to integrate lots of different technologies, the, the company maybe wanting to offer a service on top of that might have to ask permission to access each of the individual devices unless they're integrated into some kind of central hub. And of course, for a consumer to give permission to that as it's quite a difficult conversation to have. You'd have to have a really good reason for why you wanted um, or, or even to have a, a really good explanation to the customer as well of why you wanted access and what kind of service you were going to be layering on top um, that, that justifies the access to it. 
And I suppose as well, when you go into that market, I mean, I know the thing that frustrates me sometimes is the the whole interoperability thing as well, isn't it? Is that actually if I buy lots of these devices, are they all going to be able to talk to each other properly or am I have to go to the same person the whole time, which is maybe why we're seeing that spread of suppliers or uh, people in the market, because actually they're not always interoperable. That's right. Yeah. And, and that is an element of complexity. It's one that we're probably going to see removed soon um, because things are, are becoming more and more interoperable. Um, platforms are supporting more and more devices. The problem is a customer is having to think at the point of purchase. Can I use this? Does it fit in with what I already have? And I think most importantly, what am I going to have to do to make it work and make it support my lifestyle and provide me these services? I think what needs to happen and we need to convince customers of before there's much wider rollout and adoption is that actually here's a package of products. You don't need to do anything with it. It will automatically, it will link in with your other products and it will, it has to preempt my needs and, and automate and, and learn as well based upon my habits without me having to tell it to do those things. So Oliver, you've just talked about how we're going to possibly overcome some of the barriers in terms of the tech. Anna, how can we do that in terms of the market side of things? Yeah, I mean, I I suppose lots of the things that we're looking at in the future of the connected homes, um, especially in the energy market, are really linked to uh, smart meters. So the rollout of smart meters would be really important, uh, a really important element here. But equally, I suppose just picking up on the data side that Oliver mentioned, there are some recommendations around um, transparency of data. I know Citizens Advice um, published a report in 2018 saying um, it would be really beneficial for consumers to see who is accessing their data and, and what they were using it for and to have some kind of dashboard that you'd be able to, to kind of see that from. So so I think there's already been some suggestions here um, that should help us to overcome some of, some of the key barriers, I suppose, that have been set out in those consumer surveys. Excellent. And I mean, you talk a bit about the future there. In terms of when we look at the future of connected homes as a kind of whole, um, I mean, it's it's an it's this kind of impossible question to ask. In that, what might it look like in five years' time or things? But we're seeing quite a, a large growth at the moment. Where might we see that growth go? Yeah, I suppose over a, a five-year horizon, we'd expect to see uh, more of those newer companies operating here, potentially more acquisitions. I suppose more partnerships coming through. Um, the uptake probably fairly consistent across the same technologies. Uh, but looking further out, I suppose there's there's more changes. Um, you know, we've got key policy changes coming through. So say new um, new build houses aren't going to be on the gas grid from 2025. So potentially we're going to see more um, houses with electricity heating with zonal controls. And maybe that changes the dynamic for things like smart thermostats if households will already have that kind of technology to a certain extent built in. And um, so perhaps we'll start to see changes in that kind of suite of products that are being offered, maybe a bigger focus on the interoperability going through the smart hub and the kind of services that are layered on top of that. Um, but for now, I suppose that, that opportunity is really focused on being able to create a, a seamless proposition um, and being able to integrate the different technologies so that you could pick and choose what you as a consumer see as, as the best uh, types within each category that you want in your home. Excellent. And uh, if we uh, kind of maybe finish up, obviously you two have done a lot of research in this sphere. Um, what, what's what's your favourite? What, 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 what have you really <laughs> looked at and thought, actually, I would quite like one of those in my home? 
a smart hoover. Smart hoover present a smart hoover. What does a smart hoover do? I know it's really boring, isn't it? Compared to loads of the other things that can do, you know, you could probably integrate them better. But I think a smart hoover, it just you you like press a button and it it whizzes around your house oh, and hoovers for you whilst you're out. Yeah, it takes itself yeah. back to its little docking station. Oh, that is that's that's really useful. Kind of a cater way in on this one. Yeah, maybe a geekier answer. I think <laughs> out of the things that we looked at, the smart plugs, even though they seem quite boring on the face of it uh, uh, maybe one of the more interesting because of the range of applications you can have from that you know it it goes all the way from just automating a light so it looks like you're at home when you're not to hopefully in this future scenario Anna talked about uh, uh, reacting to price signals to you know use energy at its cheapest or provide grid services based on your appliances can I change my answer yeah you can (laughs) what about you don't just copy it (laughs) Uh, I don't know I mean I uh, I did a lot of the regulation side. I didn't go deep into these products, but this hoover does sound good. You know, you could just send it by your phone. So no one's gone for a smart fridge. <laughs> Interesting. I thought the smart fridges only just show you what was in your fridge. No, there is one now as well that um, it walks. I think someone showed me a video of this the other day. You can summon it. You can summon your smart fridge. fridge. Yeah. Well, thanks, Anna Oliver. It's been really good to have a, a chat with you. We've uh, we've covered a lot. We've kind of done the journey of the the connected home so far, looking at where it's been, who the key players are. And, and definitely looking at some of those opportunities and threats that, that we're going to have to overcome if this is going to have see wider market adoption. Um, I've got the report in front of me and it's it's excellent, guys. It's a really, really good job. <laughs> um, yeah, you've done a fab job on this. It's uh, It covers such a huge amount. We've got market metrics, um, the competitive landscape, some of the key players uh, in the industry now, as well as the opportunities and threats that we've already spoken about and some of the policy and regulation that has the potential to shape the market as it develops. Uh, it's, it's really, really excellent. Um, and so, yeah, definitely have a read of this if you can. If you've got any questions for any of us or just about our company in general, you can find out more online um, at cornwall-insight.com or get in touch with us um, and we'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions. So thanks, guys. It's been a real treat. To- thanks. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.